as we get started here this morning, um, first of all, Mara didn't know this, but she basically just preached my entire sermon. Um, so we're going to wind up, we're going to get out early today. No, um, we don't do a lot of collaboration, um, except for like the title of the, the message. And um, I'll tell you what, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. <laughs> um, because we're not that good <laughs> to pull that off. It has to be from God, and uh, he, he definitely um, is ready to move in this service today, I can tell. Uh, but as we get started, uh, we have a quick video. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the going public of his holiness. It's, it's the way he puts his holiness on display for, for people to apprehend. The heavens are telling the glory of God. What does that mean? It means he's shouting at us. He shouts with clouds. He shouts with blue expanse. He shouts with gold on the horizons. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He's shouting, I am glorious. Open your eyes. Do you see it? Do you love it? You were made for this. I'm made for this. This is why I exist, to see that. Everything is pointing to that. All the glory that I thought was so attractive is going there. This is all husks and ashes. Now we see through a glass darkly. Then, face to face. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So the glory that's coming is of such an all-satisfying, infinitely beautiful, totally need-meeting and joy-producing kind. Eighty years of pain will be as nothing. This might Momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of what? Glory! Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is aiming that we see and savor and treasure His glory, the riches of His glory. So I ask, do you see it? Do you love it? And I'll say again, you were made for this. It can be a little dangerous starting off a sermon by uh, playing a video from a famous preacher, John Piper. Some of you may recognize his voice in that video. What he said there is absolutely true. We were made for one purpose, one purpose, and that is to glorify God. And today it's with a bit of sadness that we're going to bring this five-week series to a close. We've been talking through some foundational doctrines, the five solas. Scripture alone is our authority. We're saved by grace alone, sola gratia. The grace of God alone, it's a free gift, nothing that we could do. 
And that grace is activated by sola fide, faith alone. Faith alone in solus Christus, Jesus Christ alone. Placing our faith in him is what activates that grace and provides us with this marvelous opportunity to live lives of freedom here in this broken world. But it also secures an eternity in his presence. And so today we bring this series to a close by looking at Soli Deo Gloria, the glory of God alone. The glory of God alone. This sola is really the climax of all five solas. It's like the middle hub of a wheel, and the first four were just spokes radiating off of this foundational core doctrine. All of the other solas revolve around the glory of God alone. This idea of glory can be found throughout Scripture. It's generally found in in, uh, two different but, but kind of related ways. So Scripture has a lot to say about the word glory. The first thing that it has to say is that it or describes it as glory shown. Glory shown. And we just heard a lot of that in this video. Glory shown is the display of excellence and praiseworthiness. Now, if, as you're watching the screen, you're not going to find this next verse today. Also, if you're following along in the Bible app, you won't find this verse. This is actually a freebie. Uh, this one was added. Um, partially, I was inspired by this video, um, but I love this verse, these couple verses from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies Proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And Psalm 19 is a great psalm. You can read that one later. Um, But what a beautiful description of how God's glory is shown. It's on display. It's It's this idea of excellence, these things that are praiseworthy. They're so amazing. That's the only thing we can do is the second thing, and that's to give glory, to give glory. The response of honor and adoration to that display of excellence and praiseworthiness. And this is how scripture talks about the word glory, by and large. And so this is what we're talking about today. God's glory is the beauty, the the beautiful thing when all of his attributes come together as one, you know, as one, and collectively, his attributes, his love, his his strength, his his mercy, his grace, all collectively um, show the beauty of his glory. But I've got news for you: each of those attributes are full of glory in and of themselves. The beauty of his glory is shown in each attribute, but also as they come together, as who he is. And we see these attributes in his acts of creation. We see the wisdom that he displays in in his plan of redemption. And when we see this beauty, when we see these attributes, God's worshipers give him glory back by praising him, by thanking him, and by obeying him with our lives. We just sang a lot about that this morning. The idea of God alone receiving glory does go way back to the early days of the nation of Israel. Um, After being freed from Egypt, 
um, they receive the Ten Commandments. And you might have heard of those before. Um, if you take a closer look at the first two commandments, you're not going to find the word glory anywhere in there. Um, but the idea of offering him glory alone is definitely present. The first commandment, and I'm going to have you open up to the book of Exodus 20. We'll go there in just a minute, but I'll give you a head start. Uh, the first commandment out of the ten teaches us who we are to worship. Who we are to worship. And then the second teaches us how we are to worship him. So Exodus 20 is probably the most famous location uh, for finding a list of the Ten Commandments. There are, there are others. Um, and we will actually talk about that next week a little bit. Uh, but Exodus 20, uh, starting in verse 1, it says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's reminding them who he is. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. Not ahead of, kind of, but he's talking about priority. He's talking about place of priority here. So who are we to worship? This, this first commandment says, Nobody but the Lord your God who brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, I don't know in this culture um, if you have ever taken a minute to stop and think about the absolute audacity of that first commandment. Of all the gods worshipped in, in our culture, and he's speaking directly to their culture at the time, I don't want you to worship any of them except for me. In the ancient world, this was also unheard of. Worshiping gods of all different types was commonplace. Uh, they had specific gods uh, related to the weather, related to going into battle, uh, related to their love lives. Okay? And uh, some of them were more powerful than others. You would call on them for different things and maybe more often than others. Um, but worshiping them all at different times and sometimes simultaneously was just part of their lives. This is the culture around the people that God is giving his Ten Commandments to. And in this culture, nobody would ever dare suggest otherwise, or that there was only one to be worshipped at all. But I've mentioned over this series, and this tends to come up a lot, um, God was all about turning the traditions of men upside down. You see it all through Scripture. Also, he happened to be the one and only God. <laughs> and he knew that, right? He, he was the one and only God of all creation. And so he could make this claim. You're only to worship me because I'm the one and only. So that's who we are to worship. The second commandment shows us how we are to worship him. Let's go down to verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment is actually the second longest of all ten. And this details, once again, how, maybe how not to worship, uh, but how we should worship. Why? Because it says God is a jealous God. Now, 
If you're like me, you hear the word jealous, and it doesn't sound very nice, does it? It sounds kind of negative. We have a negative connotation with the word jealous in our culture. Uh, the word jealous here, it's not meant um, in the sense that he's envious of these other gods who are getting all the attention because, again, he knows they're not real. Okay? It's not that type of jealousy. The word jealous here actually expresses his great love for his people because he wants what's best for them. He knows that chasing after all these other things, all these other gods, is just going to end in heartache. And he knows that their true happiness is found in worshiping him alone because he is the one who made them. It's the same way that parents are jealous or protective over their children and spouses over their mates. Not a fear kind of jealousy. This is a born out of love. And so God, it says, is jealous over his children. He's not going to tolerate competition. Actually, in, throughout Scripture, you'll find this idea of idolatry. And a lot of times it's referenced with, as an equivalent of, or used in terms of like prostitution or committing adultery. It, it's, it's straying away from God's plan for your life because God desires and he deserves our exclusive love. We, we shouldn't be looking for other people to love or other gods to love. He is the one that we should give all of our devotion to. But this command actually goes far beyond the idea of being unfaithful to a spouse or Israel being unfaithful to God. You need to think about what does it mean to offer your very worship to another god or, or something that's found in nature. We see this in Exodus 20. We just sang about it. A minute ago, many men will see the rain and they think the clouds. It's not the clouds that are doing that. God is providing that. But think about what it means to, to thank the clouds, to thank these gods, these things that are from nature or that are, have been made with human hands. And, and giving your love, all of your affection, your devotion to someone or something other than the one true God who made it all. So it goes way beyond the idea of being, just being unfaithful. It actually applies here in this passage to all people, not just the Jews. This was, this was the log being given to the, to the nation of Israel at the time, um, but it also applies to Gentiles, non-Jews. Uh, there are actually many instances throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that speak of how both of these groups, Jew and Gentile, knew who God was. They understood who he was, but they still disobeyed him, and they ultimately rejected him. And I'm so glad that doesn't happen in 2020, right? <laughs> no, this, is, this has been an issue throughout all of time. People know that there's a God, but they choose to disobey him and ultimately reject him. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And he begins it by actually addressing some of these same types of issues, some of these themes, because the culture didn't change from the time of the Ten Commandments all the way to the New Testament time where the church was starting. So look at, let's look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about the Gentiles. This is found in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him, as God, nor gave thanks to him. 
But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Far from our theme today, far from Solidale Gloria, Paul says they didn't give glory to God, the Creator, but that they actually exchanged His glory. They put it aside, and instead they chose to give their glory to man-made gods and things that had been created. And if you think about it, all sin actually is a failure to understand and recognize the glory of God. Anything you could ever do to break the law of God is because you don't recognize his place in your life in that moment. And the only remedy to that is to look to him once again and to understand who he is. To understand the greatness that is God. To understand the amazing love, the mercy, the grace, the, the strength. And to see that and become captivated by him, to be in awe of him and what he has done. And when you get to that point, you realize there's no other God that then deserves your response of worship. Now, I just started in Romans chapter 1. The next passage, I'm going to jump ahead 10 chapters uh, to chapter 11, um, in which that first 10 chapters... Paul has been discussing at length who God is, reminding them who God is and our relationship to him. And he comes to this culmination of this first part of his letter to the Romans. At the end of Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul, again, had been writing at length on this subject of redemption. And from chapters 1 through 11, he presented the problem of sin. He presented the solution of faith in the work of Christ alone. And and he's reminding Israel of their place in God's plan. And you can see immediately, Paul is in this amazing place of just personal worship as he writes that first word, at least it looks like a word in English. It's actually one letter in the Greek. It's the letter Omega. God once said, I am the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. And so Paul is starting this, this worshipful moment as he's been reflecting for 10 chapters on who God is. And, and he says, oh, what worship this one letter provides. Something deep is happening inside of his soul as he is writing this letter to these people that he loves. And he attempts to describe the wisdom 
the knowledge, the judgments, the ways of God. And all he can say is, oh, it's amazing. And the reason he gets to this point is because he had just spent all this time dealing with how man had exchanged that amazing glory of God for other things, lesser things, things they've made, things they see in nature. And even though they knew who God was, they chose to do that. And he's overcome in this moment. And he ends this passage in Romans 11 by breaking out in kind of a doxology of praise to God. When he says the final words, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. These three prepositions, from, through, and for, say it all. From him, God is the creator of all things. Nothing was created except from him. And through him, God is the sustainer of all of that creation. He holds it all together alone. He doesn't need help. He is sustaining all things. And for him, God is the ultimate purpose. All things exist for him. This idea of all things being for him are all throughout Scripture. We're going to take a quick survey, uh, so buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> Through the Old Testament and the New Testament, these, these passages will reference this idea of giving God glory. First Chronicles 16 David is reminding the people what it looks like to worship God. And he says, sing to the Lord all the earth, not just Israel. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory, not just among Israel, (laughs) among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Don't stop with your neighbor. (laughs) Don't stop with the church. Don't stop with Israel. Don't stop with the United States. Declare his glory among all nations to all people. The Psalms, Psalms are full of worship moments. It's kind of a whole book of worship. Uh, I mentioned Psalm 19. That's a great one. But Psalm 29, 1 through 3 and verse 9. <clears throat> the psalmist says, Ascribe, give to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waves. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, and say it with me, glory, glory. That's the only response to this amazing God that we serve. This next one won't be on the screen. Just listen as I read this. And I want you to imagine being in this, being in this vision that Isaiah has in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. 
seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's hard to forget, just not too many weeks ago during Christmas time, we looked at Luke 2.14 with the heavenly host that appeared to the shepherds and saying to them, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Probably the most famous, famous sermon ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was using this opportunity to remind actually to (laughs) redefine for the people listening what they knew about what it looked like to follow God. They had been getting it wrong. They had been going astray. They had been adding to his word. They had been adding to his law. They had been putting this burden on the backs of the people of things they could never keep. And so Jesus is speaking to this large multitude. And I would encourage you, just read through Matthew 5, the whole chapter sometime. But in this well-known passage, he's saying to his followers now at this moment, verse 14 of Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. See, it's not good deeds that save us. It's not good deeds that give us brownie points. But once we are a follower of Jesus, it's our good deeds that show those around us who we belong to. When they see our good deeds, people will glorify. They will give glory in response to God. It's an amazing thing. The Apostle Paul, again, he encourages the believers in Corinth who had a whole mess of problems. (laughs) Again, I'm glad that doesn't happen in 2020. (laughs) The church is perfect, finally, in 2020. (laughs) But back in Corinth, he had to write this letter to them. And in 1 Corinthians, uh, he actually wrote them two letters. (laughs) I think they had a lot of problems. Uh, The the first letter... (laughs) In chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So I don't care what you're doing, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you go to work, whether you go to the grocery store, whether you interact with your neighbor, whether you get cut off in traffic, whether you're on vacation, whether you're in church on a Sunday, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's all for him. It's all for him. I was surprised to find this out. Some of uh, my music people in the room probably have heard this before. The famous composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, I think is how you say it. Um, (laughs) 
my filter sometimes just goes away. I didn't plan on doing that. Um, <laughs> he didn't write Christian music per se, but he inscribed every one of his pieces with three letters at the bottom. Does anybody know what three letters those were? They weren't JSB. It was S-D-G. Any idea what that stood for? Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. His intention was to write music that reflected the order, the majesty, the beauty of his creator. In fact, he once said, I, I play the notes as they are written, but it is God who makes the music. The main purpose of my music is to glorify God. Some people do this with music that is simple. He actually was being called out because his music was too fancy. Okay, and there were some uh, well-meaning uh, Christians probably at the time that were complaining about the music. And uh, they said, your music's too fancy. It needs to be simple. And to that, he says, some people do this with music that is simple. I haven't chosen to use a simple style, but my music comes from my heart as a humble offering to God. This honors God no matter what musical style I use. That's good right there. The entire world, all of creation exists to witness, to experience, to amplify, and to live for the glory of God alone. Piper said, you were made for this. He's right. That is why we exist. It's for the glory of God that he created the world in the first place and all that exists. It's for the glory of God uh, that he planned and executed his plan of redemption for a world that rejected him. It's for his glory. It's for his glory that he is moving all of history toward Christ's return and the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth. It's all for him. And so we look, we've looked in this series to Scripture alone because only the Word of God is perfect in revealing God, who He is, and His salvation. Our salvation is by grace alone because God acts out of His own motive to glorify Himself and not for what He sees in us. Praise God for that. We are justified by faith alone because all of the work and all the glory goes to God alone and in Christ in whom our salvation is only found. And if we waver as a church on any one of these doctrines, you better shut the doors. Never come back. These doctrines are that important to who we are as followers of Jesus. Wavering on any of those results in the glory that's been reserved for God alone to be shared with something or someone that is much less than him. And so the glory doesn't go to the preacher of the sermon. It goes to the Holy Spirit who speaks through the words. The glory doesn't go to your parents who told you about Jesus, but to the Holy Spirit who was working in your heart in that moment. The glory doesn't go to the church that you attend, where, where hopefully I pray to God that you witness the love of God in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. But the glory goes to Him and Him alone. And so I want to give you just a few quick takeaways here as we close this series out. Solidale Gloria reveals the fundamental problem of man that's found in Romans 3.23. 
all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. We were made to be holy. We were made in a perfect state. We were created in His image. And we failed. We failed. Man chose to sin. And there's nothing we could do, even if we really, really, really wanted to. There is nothing we could do in and of ourselves to reverse that grand failure. The only way that that problem is solved is not by us, but it's by God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life here, to offer a perfect sacrifice so that we could accept that as a gift of grace. We didn't have to pay that price ourselves. He paid it for us. The second takeaway is that Soli Deo Gloria provides the adjustment that we need in our daily lives. See, we make knowing how to live for His glory probably way harder than it should be. Way harder than it actually is. What if we would just ask ourselves constantly, does this glorify God? I don't think I want to do that. Because <laughs> I'm probably, that's probably going to stop me from things I want to really do, you know? Yeah, but my spouse, my wife, she's being so unreasonable. Why should I always be the one to give in? Well, what's going to bring glory to God? What response from me is going to bring glory to God? Why should I be the one that's always working so hard? And my lazy coworkers just take extra smoke breaks. I know, I used to be there. I know how that goes. I'm in working and they're taking extra breaks. That's not fair. What response from you is going to bring glory to God? And maybe you should also ask, what response from me is not going to bring glory to God? But don't I have my rights? Doggone it, this is a free country and I have rights. I have the right to my fair share. I have the right to do what I want and say what I want. You know the question. What's going to bring glory to God by how I respond? As you wonder, how well am I treating my neighbor? As you wonder, how well am I treating my family, my friends, my coworkers? Ask yourself, is the way I'm doing those things bringing glory to God? Or not? You can ask that question in both small and big decisions, and I think you might find, you might be surprised by how simple you find the answer to all of those areas. Just be careful what you ask for. Because if you truly mean it, you'll know. And I'm going to guess it's going to stop you from doing a lot of things <laughs> in your life. The last takeaway is that God's glory has been revealed everywhere. Everywhere you look. It's revealed in his creation. It's revealed in his passionate pursuit of mankind. It's revealed in scripture alone. It's revealed through his grace alone. It's revealed that he allows us, he, he's the one that even gives us the faith that we need to have faith in his grace. 
And it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And when we stop to recognize the greatness of God, we should be as moved as the Apostle Paul was. And we should just say, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And that should just drive us to worship him. Because we will understand in that moment he is the only one that deserves our worship. Let's pray.